right, amen. We are in Acts chapter 12 this evening, Acts chapter 12, as we continue. And so far, the last few weeks, I've done pretty good going through a whole chapter in uh, one shot, so that's what we're going to attempt to do tonight as well, Acts chapter 12. And uh, we're going to look at uh, some of the persecution here that is ramping up. I often wonder, how would Christendom today deal with persecution? I'm talking about Americans specifically. I know in the world we have more persecution going on right now than in any time in human history. But in America, we've largely escaped it. And how would we deal with persecution? Would we be faithful or would we fall by the wayside? The sad thing is <coughs> that we may find that out in our lifetime. I, I'm praying that the Lord will continue to uh, allow us to have uh, freedom, uh, religious freedom in our country. But we, uh, we see in history that those things, it's not usually that long that that lasts in most nations. But uh, let us continue to take advantage of it. And thankfully, God did not call us to die for him. He called us for us to live for him. And so let's do that faithfully. We're in Acts chapter 12. Uh, We've got a few verses I want to read here. So I'm going to read fast, and uh, you listen fast and try to keep up if you're uh, reading along with me. Acts 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quarters, uh, quartunions or uh, quarterins of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keeper before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up quickly, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out following him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened unto the city. I'm sorry, which opened them on, I'm getting caught up here, that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Now when Peter was come to himself and said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Then they all rejoiced. <laughs> Verse 15, and they said unto her, Thou art mad. <laughs> but she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. When they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Father, I prayed, help us tonight as we look at this passage and uh, continue on through the trap chapter as well that you would help us to just be encouraged in the service of you in Jesus name amen we see here the persecution of the church at Jerusalem it started here with the death of James the uh, Bible tells us that Herod stretched forth his hands uh, to vex or to mistreat some uh, certain of the church uh, this was Herod Agrippa this is the grandson of Herod the Great 
His father was murdered by Herod the Great, as well as was his grandmother, Maryam. On the death of his father, this Agrippa or Herod Agrippa, uh, was sent to Rome by his mother just to protect him from his grandfather. And at Rome, Agrippa would befriend members of the royal families, especially Gaius, the nephew of Tiberius. And when Gaius became emperor in AD 37, he gave his friend Herod Agrippa rule in southern Syria. So he gave him the title of king, and then he later added Galilee and uh, Perea, which was formerly ruled by Agrippa's uncle Antipas. Now, Gaius was murdered in AD 41, and Claudius became emperor, and then he added Judea to uh, Herod Agrippa's realm. And so Herod Agrippa was, was a pretty important person. And he was trying to ingratiate himself to the Jews, according to the word of the Lord here in this chapter. He embraced the law. He sought popularity with the people. Evidently, he had some charm and was more accepted by the Jews than most other Roman leaders. Like the other Herods, he was an Ijamine, which is a descendant of Esau, and Luke calls him Herod the king. In fact, he is the only Herod that actually had royalty bestowed on him and governed all of Palestine since his grandfather Herod the Great. Now, Herod saw a cheap way to curry favor with all the Jews, the Jewish leaders, and that was by persecuting the church. Christians were defenseless nobodies. And uh, so they were safe targets for attack. Christians did not fight back, uh, did not form armies of their own. And so they were easy pickings for this wicked king. Verse 2 says he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James and John were the sons of Zebedee. They were the first of Jesus' disciples. In fact, we see here that James is the first of the twelve to die or to suffer martyrdom. Execution took place sometime between the prophecy of Agabus that we read about in the last chapter and the arrival of Barnabas and Saul in Jerusalem. These were the two, by the way, James and John in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, the mother of these two young men were uh, asked Jesus if he would allow them to sit on his right hand and his left hand. I think it's so hilarious whenever I read that passage that these two apostles that Jesus would have to suffer their mother coming and speaking on their behalf. Uh, Jesus, uh, our mom wants to talk to you. And mom asked if they could be sitting on the right and left-hand side. Jesus answered in verse 22 of chapter 20 of Matthew, that said, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said unto him, we are able. Well, James drank of that cup. He did participate of the baptism that Jesus spoke about. He was the first martyr of the twelve. His brother John was the last one to die of the twelve. In between their deaths, many other godly people, some of the finest saints to ever live on the earth, died, many of them as martyrs. Later, another James, (coughs) which was Christ's half-brother, would be in leadership in the church, would take over the leadership of the church. By the way, God has more James than the Herods of the world can kill. Amen? That's a blessing to see in Scripture. Uh, God always has his man to do the work. Killing James, though, shows us the strategy that Herod had, and that was to go after the leaders of the church. And that brings us to Peter. Now he is going to also detain Peter. And the Bible says because he saw it please the Jews, he essentially thinks, hey, I'm going to roll here. I guess I'll take the next guy in charge too. And he took Peter 
also. This is a commentary on the Jews as much as it is on Herod. The Jews were now on a course of Christ rejection that would destroy their nation in a matter of about three decades. And so Herod took advantage of the situation and he's abusing Christians to gain favor with the Jews. He arrested Peter, the leader of the apostles, and the Jews loved it. Don't forget, Peter is the one who basically snubbed his nose at the religious leaders when they said, you're not to preach Christ again. And he said, I ought to obey God rather than men. And he continued to preach anyway. He was the one that disdained the age-old taboos against socializing with Gentiles. In fact, Peter offered Jewish fellowship to the Gentiles without demanding the Gentiles would be circumcised. So any resistance to Peter, they're all for it. So they're thrilled uh, that he is arrested. Verse 3 These were the days of the unleavened bread. The Jews would be scouring their houses to make sure there's no leaven in their homes so that they might honor uh, the Passover. At the same time, their hearts are fermenting with wickedness. Isn't that the way people operate? Trying to follow uh, rituals and trying to follow their, uh, their, their traditions and having no concern with what's in the heart. What is in the heart is more important than what is outside, and that's what we need to put our focus on. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted a week, and so Peter's in prison, counting down the days to his death. Verse 4, we're just going to work through the chapter here. When he apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four... I can't say that word. I don't know why. It's just because I'm in front of you. Uh, To lots of soldiers, okay? Can we just go with that? Uh, to keep him intending after, it's, that's 16, by the way, soldiers, uh, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So Peter was kept in maximum security here. Uh, he's guarded by 16 soldiers, two chains, an iron gate, and two wards. Peter had sympathizers, uh, and Herod thought he probably had people that would be willing to break him out. And then Herod also remembers all the way back in Acts chapter 5, not that long ago, Peter was in prison, and in the middle of the night, an angel came and escorted him out. He's going to make sure that doesn't happen again. <clears throat> wonder if it's the same angel that shows up in this chapter. Oh boy, here I go again. Peter's in jail again. I've got to go down and free Peter again. Uh, but it's funny, it don't matter how much the world offers resistance to God. They can't, there's no maximum security God can't break into, and we see that in this passage. So, his uh, plan was to execute Peter after the Passover. We have (coughs) human intercession. Praise God for human intercession. We talked about this in discipleship tonight, about intercessory prayers. Uh, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. We ought to be praying for one another. I hope you're praying for me. I'm praying for you, and we need to continue to lift each other up in prayer. I like that word, but, in there. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but prayer was made. This but uh, spelled Herod's doom. Uh, As the iron gates of uh, Herod's prison clanged shut, the gates of heaven swung open wide to receive the prayer of God's saints. Luke says that prayer was made without ceasing. Here, extenis, uh, intense prayer, ectenes, or whatever the word is, Greek word for it. And Luke chapter 22, verse 44, same word was used, ectenes, uh, that when uh, the Bible says that Jesus, being in agony, prayed the more earnestly, ectenes, intensely, 
and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. So what we're looking at here is intense prayer. This wasn't a prayer request flippantly said and uh, quickly mentioned and then forgotten. We had God's people were praying, probably fasting, uh, spending hours and hours and hours together. Maybe they did what many churches today do where they had different people come and pray 24 hours a day, but they were fervently praying for Peter. They were bombarding the throne of God while Peter lay in prison. So human intercession brought heaven's intervention. Look at where we see that, verse 6. When Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keeper before the door kept the prison. Before we get to heaven's intervention, we just got to mention this. The order of the execution has been signed. Peter's going to be killed. Uh, he's going to die probably this next day. What is he doing that last night? Was he shaking with fear? Was he prepared to deny his Lord with oaths and curses like he did back in Matthew 11 years before? Was he pacing the floor of his cell like a cat, resolved to die like a man? Was he confessing his sins to the Lord, asking God to help him face death like a man with forgiveness for his killers like Jesus did? None of that. He was... Sending up Z's. He was sleeping. Sound asleep. Not only was he was, it wasn't a fitful sleep either. He was out to lunch, Peter was. He had his supper, said goodnight to the guards, and then he went to sleep. And he went to so much, such a deep sleep he went into that the angel had to kick him in the side to get him up when it got time to wake him up to get him out of jail. I mean, he was, he was not worried. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Evidently, Peter wasn't that worried. He didn't fear for his life. Maybe it was because in John 21, verse 18, Jesus had told him he would live to an old age. But Peter, either way, man, we are not dealing with the same Peter that was lying to a little girl to try to get out of uh, being accused of being Jesus' follower. He's, he's uh, trusting God totally. Verse 17, Behold, an angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. The Lord's angel found him, restful, relaxed, as if he were home in bed, like the armed guards were his honored guests. And look at verse number, or the next verse, 8. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. He had to do to Peter what you got to do to your teenagers to wake him up. Kick him in the side. Get him up. And so he had to do, uh, he, he was so out, he was so peacefully sleeping, in fact, when he woke up, he still wasn't quite awake. He's kind of walking around in a daze. You know how it takes sometimes if you get woke up in the middle of a good sound sleep and you run around bumping into things, got to wash your face and wake up before you realize really what's going on? This was Peter. Uh, Angel went about his work in a very businesslike way, uh, ordered him to quickly get up, put on his coat, follow him. Peter did as he was told, leaving the guards behind to face the shock of what they would discover in the morning. Look at verse 10. When they were past the first and second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord, and went out and passed on through the street, seeing eye doors, those electronic eye doors. This place had them that night. Last, they stood before the bolted main gate, and it opened up in front of them. So the bolt silently slid back. The gate, uh, the lock turned itself. The gate swung open on its hinges, and Peter walks out following the angel. And then verse 10, forthwith the angel departed from him. <laughs> I like this. 
It's interesting. Angel didn't say one word except what it was to get Peter out of prison. Get up, let's go. Get your coat on, let's go. And as soon as he's out, his work's done, he's gone. Uh, The angel had only one job to do, set Peter free. That's what he did, and that's all he did. He did not tell Peter about heaven. I mean, you got an angel there. Hey, tell me a little bit about what heaven's like. Didn't tell Peter about heaven. He would find that out for himself one day. He didn't tell Peter about how to do the ministry given to him or tell him any tips. That was the Holy Spirit's work. He was simply sent to set Peter free. And as an answer to the prayer of a praying church, and when that was done, he disappeared. Verses 11 and 12 talks about when Peter came to himself. Essentially, he's finally shaking the cobwebs out of his head. He's, he's finally awake. He realizes what's going on. And uh, he says, now I know of a surety uh, that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod. Peter suddenly realized his release from prison was not a dream. This was a reality. God had checkmated Herod and the Jews. Uh, Peter took some satisfaction in that. In fact, it says he, uh, he, he uh, considered it. He considered the thing. And uh, so then he did the obvious next thing to do. He contacted the Christians. Where do you go? Well, Peter went to his friends, went to the people, his loved ones, his church family. They were gathered at the house of Mary, mother of Mark. Peter probably knew if he wasn't told, he probably assumed they were going to be there praying for him. Later, this Mark would write a gospel that bears his name. Mary was the sister of Barnabas. And you remember when Barnabas gave some property to the church. Well, now Mary kind of has done the same thing. She has put up her house and the church is meeting there. uh, Peter is very close to this family. He affectionately calls Mark my son in 1 Peter 5.13. It was this house that Peter went to. Verse 13. This is where the Bible gets a little humorous in telling us this story. Not that the Bible is trying to be funny, but it's a humorous story nonetheless. Peter knocked at the door of the gate, verse 13. A damsel came to hearken named Rhoda, and when she had knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. So she, uh, she uh, the, the church had met to pray. God helped the preacher get out of jail. They, while they were still praying, there's a knock at the door. Maybe they thought it was the farmers finally getting there late after they get out of the field, and, or maybe it was the next shift. They're getting there uh, to do the, take the next shift of prayer. At any rate, Rhoda, go get them, bring them in. Uh, uh, we're, they're going to continue praying. Don't inter- interrupt the prayer. Lord, help Peter. Put a hedge of protection around Peter. Meanwhile, Rhoda hus- hustles to the door. You know the kind of doors they had to slide the little, uh, slide the little piece of wooden slat over, and she looks out, and it's Peter. And she's so shocked that it's Peter, she slams the thing shut again and runs back in to tell everybody and doesn't even unlock the door. And so he's still out there. Uh, She runs back. (laughs) Peter found out it's easier to get out of jail than into a prayer meeting on this night. They needed an electronic eye door, didn't they, at this house? Rhoda, Peter's at the door. Shh, Rhoda, we're praying. But Peter, he's at the door. Can you imagine this conversation? Rhoda, Peter's in jail. That's what we're praying about. That's why we're praying. No, he's not in jail. He's at the door. Rhoda, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. You've gone insane. Well, she insisted. They finally went out and found him. Verse 16, when they had opened the door and saw him, uh, I love the response. They had prayed. God had answered their prayer. And they were astonished. Isn't that a blessing? I mean, isn't that how we are? 
we, uh, the, the news was just too good to be true. But how many times have we prayed and then just been shocked at the answer to prayer? Hey, don't stop praying. If there's something that hasn't been resolved in your life or you have a need or you have a burden, just keep praying. Keep praying. So you had heaven's intervention. Now we see Herod's indignation. Verse 18. As soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? You think? <laughs> Imagine trying to explain that. The doors are shut. The shackles are laying on the ground. We didn't see anybody come in. We didn't see anybody leave. But Peter's gone. He disappeared into thin air. That's, the story. That's all the story they had, really. They were in serious trouble because Peter was gone and they had no idea how. We can imagine the frightened spirits of these soldiers as they're starting to compare notes. They could remember falling asleep, but nothing after that. Peter had disappeared. As impossible as it was, Peter was gone. Verse 19, And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers. He would summon them, listen to their story. He had all the marks of an inside job. That's only way you could humanly explain this if you take God out of the picture. A man doesn't just vanish from a maximum security prison. Verse 19, and commanded that they should be put to death. and Went down from Judea to Caesarea in their abode. So according to the law, a prisoner who allowed, I mean a guard who allowed a prisoner to escape would suffer the same fate that that prisoner had coming to him. So almost certainly... They were all executed. As for Herod, disgusted with the whole business, he turns back to Jerusalem. Now we kind of change gears here a little bit. He goes, uh, verse 20, He was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain for their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And so Herod is just through with that whole business. He moves, uh, goes uh, into uh, this other area, uh, Caesarea is the Roman seat. Herod, of course, was a man to be greatly feared. After his humiliation in Jerusalem, he's essentially looking for someone else to bully. And so he's going to take uh, vent his wrath out here on Tyre and Sidon. The people, of, uh, people that Herod was upset with needed peace with him. The Bible says they were nourished by the king's country. So they were trying to get in good with him. They made friends with one of his uh, the, the king's chamberlain there and and uh, with this man named Blastus, and they tried to get a little bit of an in with the king. They were, uh, I'm sure Herod wanted to prove his authority and his power. He wanted to impress these folks with his glory. And uh, he had dared to murder James. Now he had tried to murder Peter and wasn't successful. Look at verse 21. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. Now scholars say this royal apparel that Herod wore, would have been a very gorgeous robe. It was threaded with silver and gold. It would have reflected in the sun as he stood outdoors to speak to them in this arena. He assembled his dignitaries. He was prepared uh, to give this great speech. He wanted to, no doubt, honor the Emperor Claudius. And uh, Josephus even talks about this very account, saying it happened on August 1st, the Emperor's birthday. Uh, Herod took the opportunity to make this speech. Uh, in verse 22, look at what the Bible says in verse 22. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. Now, was this the angel of the Lord that 
released Peter from prison? I don't know. Perhaps it was. Maybe not. We don't know. But just as Satan has his angelic princes, his unseen powers and the rulers of this world's darkness, God has his angelic administrators who do his bidding as well. Evidently, Herod was being watched by this angel unseen, uh, not knowing that he was just hours from death as he went throughout his day. He was allowed to dress in his royal clothes. He was allowed to admire himself in the mirror and congratulate himself. He was allowed to parade up and down uh, the palace before his people. He was allowed to sit on his throne in deliberate pride. He was allowed to stand so that the rays of the sun would hit those, that royal robe just right. He was allowed to open his mouth to speak. And he was allowed to hear the multitude cry, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. By the way, that would have been just political by the people of Tyre and Sidon. They were nothing but uh, sycophants like we see today in the media and, and uh, certain people with government even today. But he was allowed to do all that. Then the angel smote him. Herod had gone too far. Oh boy, this is such a reminder for us to check our pride. Herod was so full of himself, filled with pride. We have to never think we are more than we are. We are not any more than just dust. Amen. Let's never think we are more than we are. He had crossed the boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. He had gone too far. We may all beware of making the mistake Herod did in getting uh, eaten up with pride in our heart. Now, verse 23. And he was eaten up of worms and gave up the ghost. So even as he stood there, he was hit with severe abdominal pains. He was hurried back to the palace. The physicians were no doubt called, but no human skill could save him now. The worms were already at work. In no time, Herod went from glory to gore. He went from acclaim to shame. He went from splendor to stench. He went from life to death in no time at all. You cannot sin against God and not sooner or later meeting up with God's judgment. But I like how the chapter ends. Verse 24, we see the progress of the church. The word of God grew and multiplied. Here we have another one of those significant buts. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Stephen was martyred, but the precious seed of the kingdom was thrown to the four winds. Herod may murder James, but the blood of that martyr becomes the seed of the church. The word of God grows and multiplies, and grows and multiplies. Satan does his worst, but it only evidences that God is at work. But may I point out specifically what the Bible says. It does not say that the church grew and multiplied. It says the word of God grew and multiplied. Herod might want to destroy the church, but the word of God is invincible and it marches on. The word of God knows no boundaries to its empires, no barriers to its progress. The word of God is what will continue to march on. That's why it's so important that we realize that in this church. It is, look, I'm all for the bus ministry. I'm all for Sunday school. I'm all for VBS and the things that we do. They are important, but they are not what's going to build this church. The Word of God will build this church. That's not what is going to go. The things that we have, the programs that we have, we'll have 
different things going at different times of the year, and maybe we'll see some and begin others, but those are not the things that are going to build this church. It is the Word of God that does the work. We must remember that here, and we must always, always lift up this book as we lead our families, as we lead our church. It's the Word of God that did it. The Word of God grew and multiplied. Is the Word of God growing and multiplying in your life, in your family? And let's hope we continue to have it do so in our church. Verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and when they had fulfilled their ministry, and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Mark, as we just saw, was the nephew of Barnabas. Colossians 4.10 talks about that. So these two veterans said goodbye to Jerusalem. They took with them an eager young man who would one day write a gospel and uh, writes that especially for the Roman world and uh, that we get to have in our Bible even today. And so we see God at work in all throughout this chapter. Uh, I, I love just the, the round, kind of the balance of chapter 12 of Acts because you have the world attack, you have the saints pray, and you have heaven intervene. I love that because we still today, the world's attacking and we need to be praying and if we do, heaven will intervene. Amen? That's a blessing. That's a great example for us in Scripture of what God can do for us even in our life. He is still all about answering prayers. He is still all about intervening with things that are going on in our lives, but we need to be faithful to be like the people who prayed and prayed and prayed for God to do a work for Peter. And so uh, let's honor him in that, okay? Thank you, Lord. For